Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Hey, hey. How are you, church? Good to see you. Thanks for coming out on Good Friday. Oh, there's a lot of you. Just make sure you keep smiling at me while you just uh, relax and I work hard up here. Isn't it good to be in church? Like we were thinking about on the way in um, this time last year. Are you saying that a lot, this time last year? And are you like even going last year, meaning 2019, not 2020? Like that was a write-off, wasn't it? But I am so grateful that we can gather today in God's house. Um, Such a special uh, occasion on the Christian calendar, but obviously for every single day of our life that we remember what Christ has done for us. So before we get into that, um, I'm going to pray with you. Father God, we just give you thanks for this day once again. And Lord, we are marvelling at your glory, at your goodness at the gift of your Son, Jesus. We thank you once again for the gift of salvation. We thank you, Lord, for new salvations in the house already today. We just praise you and honour you. We thank you for your Word, Lord. May it be transforming on our hearts today. May we be open, Lord, and ready to hear and listen to what your Holy Spirit wants to speak. And Father, I pray that you would be glorified in each and every life. I thank you that you know each individual person intimately. You know right where they're at. I pray you would speak a word right into their hearts, Lord. Whatever it is that you want to say, we pray that you would have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to take your seat. I'm so glad that Jesus is on the throne. (laughs) It's so good to uh, worship Him today in the house, as I've already said. Um, it's just so such a privilege to be here and to share the Word of God with you today. My title of my message is An Outrageous Claim. We're talking about the name of Jesus. There's no other name uh, on heaven or earth by which we can be saved. Um, but as I was thinking about outrageous claims, I was thinking about um, how we often hear some pretty big statements from companies or advertisements where they're claiming what their product can do. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a statement and thought, that's just too good to be true. How could that be possible? How could that even be real? And uh, advertising is a really big deal these days. Companies spend a lot of money with big teams, making sure that they are marketing uh, to what they think our needs are, what they think will sell their products, which also means that um, there's a lot of false advertising that we see all around us. And I think that in part because... Uh, we as consumers are looking for quick fixes. We're looking for that uh, magic pill. We're looking for a way to better and improve our lives. And there's so much competition out there that companies try really hard to get you to buy their products. And many companies have actually been caught out. They've had pretty um, big fines that they've had to pay because of this. They've been caught using wild claims. And you would have heard things like scientifically proven or uh, guaranteed results, you know, guaranteed result or your money back kind of guarantee. How many times have we seen and heard that? 
So for companies that cross the line, it can actually cost them quite a lot of money, millions and millions of dollars to uh, correct what they have advertised, but also their reputation is marked forever and damaged. And uh, so I was just doing a little bit of research on the internet, as you do, and uh, checking Dr. Google. Google. <laughs> and uh, I came across a number of actual cases that have existed of products that you may have seen or used or heard of, and I just thought I'd share a few of them with you today. Some of these products uh, you may have at home. Don't feel condemned by that at all. This is the advertising company, the marketing that they've done on these products. Um, so the first one we actually have in our fridge at home, it's called Activia Yogurt. Hands up if you've had this yogurt before. I asked in the first service and hardly anybody said they had, but that doesn't matter. Anyway, they advertise that they have special bacterial ingredients in this product and they've marketed as being clinically and scientifically proven to boost your immune system and help regulate digestion. So why wouldn't you buy it? We all need help with that. Um, but apparently this was not actually scientifically proven and they had to pay $45 million fine. Pretty big. Another product you may have seen is Red Bull. We all know that ad, Red Bull gives you wings. Yes, well, apparently they were sued for this slogan in 2014 and they had to agree to pay out a maximum of $13 million, including $10 to every US consumer who had bought the drink since 2002. And it was recorded that one of the consumers who had brought this case forward said that he, being a regular consumer of Red Bull for over 10 years, he had never developed wings. I don't really know why he was expecting to literally develop wings. But he also said that he'd not shown any signs of improved intellectual or physical abilities. Maybe that answers our questions, I don't know. I don't know him, so I'm not trying to judge him. Another company that you would be well aware of, that you would have seen and heard of, is good old Kellogg's. And uh, Kellogg's had these Rice Krispies that they said would again boost your immune system, but they had to pay $25 million in payout because this was actually not scientifically proven. And then again, their mini wheats. They brought these mini wheats out, their frosted mini wheats, and they said, these would make you smarter. They claimed that they would improve children's attentiveness, memory and other cognitive functions by nearly 20%. I mean, look at them. They don't look like much, do they? These frosted mini-wheats apparently promised this, but they had to pay $4 million as a payout and people who consumed the cereal between January of 2009 to October 2009 got $5 a box back. Pretty cool. <laughs> it's always good when you get money back, isn't it? Another one that I kind of had a bit of a chuckle about was the New Balance shoes. Many people I know would use these shoes. And this company advertised that its shoes could help wearers burn calories. But studies found there were no health benefits from simply wearing the shoe. So they actually claimed in their advertisement that um, there was a hidden technology, so they did take it a bit of a step further. There was this hidden technology that activated the glutes, the quads, the hamstrings and the calves. So go out and buy your New Balance shoes as soon as possible. They paid $2.3 million 
in, uh, in advertising falsely. Um, and I, you know, when you think about it, did anyone really imagine putting on a pair of shoes would help you burn calories? I guess we can all hope, can't we? Uh, then there was Splendor who advertised that their sugar was made from actual natural sugar. It's uh, like an added sweetener. I don't know what they thought they was doing. And then Eclipse said that its gum could actually kill germs and they were ordered to pay $6 million to a fund that would reimburse customers up to $10 each again in 2010. So, I mean, I, I'm sure you have used maybe one or a few of those products. I certainly have. Um, but And these are funny, outrageous kind of claims that we see, but we obviously have a society where these kinds of messages are constantly all around us. And some of them seem too much to believe, and some of them are just downright ridiculous. Why would anyone believe them? They're so outrageous. But then I think about some of the claims that I live my life by, and to some, they would seem outrageous. To some, they would seem like they are too good to be true. And I imagine that without an encounter with Jesus, without an actual encounter with his truth and the revelation of us having a need of him, that they probably do sound outrageous to some. But I'm so thankful that not all outrageous claims are actually untrue. That the claims that I live my life by according to who Jesus is, to what it is that he has done for me, to the word of God, that they are actually true in Christ Jesus. And I find that as I walk with him over many years, that he is radical. He is actually revolutionary. When I think about his love for me and his grace that is so undeserved, it is very, very outrageous. We find in the Bible that uh, Jesus makes many, many, many claims about himself. He claims to be the Lord. He claims that he is the only saviour. He claims that he has never sinned, that he can forgive us of our sins, that he will answer our prayers, that he will build his church. And he claims that he is the only way. And I want us to have a little look at some of the claims that we even see in the book of Acts that uh, Peter boldly declares about Jesus. So if you just turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. And as you're doing that, I'll just give you a little bit of a background, a bit of a, a context for what it is that is happening in this text. Imagine with me what is happening with Peter and John as they have come across a beggar in the chapter before and he is lame. And he has been uh, sitting there unable to walk, but they come along and there is this outrageous scene of miraculous healing that takes place. They lay hands on him, they pray for him, and he is literally healed before their eyes. And he begins to walk and he begins to leap and he begins to praise God through the crowd. And then Peter, as people see this and they witness this outrageous miracle, he takes the opportunity to begin to declare and testify and preach as to why it is this outrageous thing has happened because of the glory of God. And he takes this opportunity as hearts are open to confess the goodness of God. But as they're doing this, there are some people, as is often the case, who come along and they are very upset with what they're saying and they interrupt this kind of declaration. They say it's outrageous and therefore untrue. And so Peter and John get thrown in jail for the night and the next day they find themselves standing before the Jewish Sanhedrin to give account for these outrageous claims 
that they've been making. So let's read together chapter 4 of Acts, verses 1. I'm going to read all the way through to 13. And it says, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, praise God, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, they're asking Peter and John, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, this outrageous act, by that means this man has been healed. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, it is by him that this man is standing before you. Well, he's really going for it. I love it. Then this Jesus is the stone that has, was rejected by you, the builders which have, has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given under men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated men and common men, they were astonished and they recognised that they had been with Jesus. It is actually a remarkable uh, piece of scripture as we read today and we, we hear these things that Peter is saying, he's declaring them so, so boldly. And I love how the text mentions that before Peter opens his mouth to declare these outrageous claims, the Holy Spirit actually comes upon him. And I think that's so important for us to recognise and acknowledge because any time that we declare the outrageous claims of Jesus, we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We need the witness of the Holy Spirit to come out of our mouths. And one of the most outrageous claims made about Jesus is actually one of our greatest needs of Him, and that is salvation. He is actually our only way of salvation. There is no salvation in anyone else but Jesus. There is literally no one else who is good enough, no one else who is perfect enough, no one else who is pure enough no one worthy to save us. And when I begin to say these things, and you may be sitting there and, and you may be thinking that's a huge statement to make. It's a pretty unpopular claim that we can uh, make in the world and they don't like it. There can be people that get upset with us from saying that Jesus is the way to salvation. And one of the challenges we encounter in, in this culture is that people don't even recognise that they actually even have a need for Jesus, for salvation. They start to ask questions like, well, what difference does it actually make for me? Why do I need rescuing? What do I even need rescuing from? What does salvation even mean for me? And what is right for me actually may not be right for you, and that's okay. But the problem is our greatest need for forgiveness 
Our greatest need for reconciliation and relationship with God has actually been replaced with our own sense of self-sufficiency and indulgence and pleasure. We think that we can make it on our own. We think that we are our own rescuers, our own redeemers of our lives, and that Jesus is an optional extra for someone else who needs it. But Jesus is not a way. Jesus is actually the way. And Jesus makes an exclusive, outrageous statement about himself in the Bible. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. This is not a popular statement that he makes, but he is putting a line in the sand. He is saying there is no shortcuts to salvation. There is no shortcut to eternal life. There is only one way and it is through Jesus. Because of the only adequate atonement of our sin was for Jesus to be the one to pay for it. And he didn't abdicate his role. He didn't put aside his mission. He went to the cross so that we would have salvation. But this kind of statement, this kind of claim, this kind of way of living our life according to this truth, it attracts persecution. It attracts rejection from the world. And the instinct of the human nature is for us to go our own way, to find our own solution. But the Bible teaches that that isn't enough for us to receive eternal life. And those around us can get agitated or irritated at this kind of statement where we say Jesus is the only way and Jesus is the only truth. Man says, isn't there some way that I can save myself, be self-made, but there isn't. We are all, every single one of us, no matter what class, what race, what background, what history, we are all in need of a saviour. And you know, as we make these uh, outrageous claims, as we live our lives according to them, we need to understand that the cross is the greatest evidence of this claim. What Jesus has done for us means that our outrageous claim is actually not untrue. It costs Jesus everything to go to that cross, even to be abandoned by his father. But there was no other way for us to be restored. And we heard earlier when Dr. Mike talked about communion and the blood and the body and the power of what this means for our life. That because of Christ's blood being shed, we actually can have life. That it is the gift of salvation that means our eternal life is secure. It is a sacrificial requirement for our sin to be forgiven. The power of the blood of Jesus, that is what redeems us. That is what brings us into fellowship with God. This is what makes peace with God and cleanses us and gives the power uh, over the enemy, over our life. Jesus literally suffered for our freedom. This was an outrageous act of love. It wasn't just a symbolic thing. And the work of the cross is for once and for all, but it is an ongoing work that we work out our salvation as we walk out our walk with God. As well as that, the truth of our salvation comes by the power and the authority of one name. There is one name, Peter says here in this scripture, under heaven among, given among men. You know, Jesus is the only one who is perfect enough to save us. I said that before. But we must, we also would be aware, we've encountered it many times, I'm sure you have, as have I, that there are times when people let us down, when people disappoint us. Nobody is perfect enough that they would never let us 
us down. Every single one of us is without, is not without serious flaws. Every day I let people down. You can ask my family. Every day there is this unintentional, sometimes, sometimes intentional, but this uh, 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 potential for us to each let one another down. But the promise and the hope and the truth and the life that we can find in the name of Jesus and in the person of Jesus never lets us down. When Jesus becomes our everything, when his name is power at work within our lives, it changes our lives forever. And calling on the name of Jesus changes everything for you and I. As Jesus makes these outrageous claims about who he is and what it is that he has been sent to do, this is real tangible difference that it makes within you and I. And I was, uh, I always find it really so powerful and so moving and so important for me to continually remind myself about who Jesus is. Because I, I can stand before you today and I can tell you about, you know, all the things that I've achieved. I can tell you about my resume. I can talk to you about my studies that I've done and the experiences that I've had. But at the end of the day, what actually is going to bring me eternal life is not those achievements. The life of abundance that Jesus promises, the plans to prosper me and not to harm me, they come by the work of Jesus within my life. That I am standing before you because of his work within me, because of the, what the name of Jesus means to me. And I don't say that at all to, um, you know, put myself down, but to elevate who Jesus is within my life. And so I want to read to you a few of the names of Jesus that have brought such strength to me. And that as I read through these, there may be one or two or all of them that whatever you are encountering in life at the moment, that maybe you're going through something or maybe you're seeking an answer that you will find this today in who Jesus is. The first one is that Jesus is the Almighty One who is and who was and who is to come, always the Almighty One. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He was here at the beginning. He will be there here at the end. He walks with us, with us in the in-between. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. When we fix our eyes upon Jesus, He is the one who helps us to grow, to become more like Him. That without that, we, we, we strive or we strain, but there is no need for that in Him. That Jesus is the bread of life, that whoever comes to him will never grow hungry and whoever believes in him will never be thirsty. This is who our Jesus is. He is the beloved son of God. He is our deliverer. He is the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. He is the great high priest. He is the head of the church, praise God. He is Emmanuel. He is King of Kings. He is Lamb of God. He is Lord of all. Jesus is our Messiah. He is prophet. He is redeemer. He is our rock and he is our saviour. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And it says in scripture that no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I wonder today, who is Jesus to you? 
How is it that in those times and those moments when you have a need or even in those seasons when things are going well, who is Jesus in your life? What does his name even mean to you? What does it even matter? And do you call on the name of Jesus? You know, I read a few of those names. There was about 20 or so of those names that I read out, but there are many more that you can find within the Word of God. And I would encourage you in every single season of your life to seek out to know more of who Jesus is. It matters. This is our bold, courageous confession. It isn't to elevate ourselves, to elevate our achievements, to elevate how good we are. It is to elevate who God is, who Jesus is, what it is, the work that he has done in us. That is my goal, that Jesus would be honoured and glorified through my life. And you know what? The world needs to hear it from us. The world needs to see it. They don't need another uh, uh, hero, (laughs) Jesus is the hero and we can declare it and we can demonstrate it and we can talk about it and confess it with boldness because Jesus is our our salvation and because his name is more than enough, this becomes the way by which we must be saved. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I find this claim miraculous. I find this truth absolutely outrageous. That when you think about the love that God has extended to you and I and to every single person that has been created, that he would do that regardless of whether or not we would accept him. That while I was still a sinner, while I was still separated from God and his heart and his love, that he would send his son. He would do all that he could to demonstrate that he loved me, that he wanted relationship with me. I find this remarkable, that by his name and by his stripes, I would be healed and I would be able to receive a salvation that, that, that will not end. This is an outrageous act of love. And when I take all of this into account and when I see all of this and when I, I, I take stock of this outrageous act of love, this gives me the confidence, not in myself, but in who Jesus is to boldly preach and declare what I believe, that it's not in my own strength and it's not in my own mind and it's not in my own performance, but it's because of who he is that we declare it. You know, going back to our text today, we see that the leaders of the Sanhedrin were actually amazed. They were a little bit stumped at the confidence of Peter and of John. And they describe it in the Bible as that they were uneducated and they were just common men. That's how they saw them. And yet as these uneducated common men come and begin to declare the outrageous claims of Jesus Christ, as they are bold in their confession and their declaration, people become amazed because they see who God is. And so when they see that the man that these people prayed for is healed and they see him standing there or actually running around and praising God and going crazy because of his healing, They have nothing to say. And Peter and John could not stop speaking about what they had seen and what they had heard. And while they got commanded to stop, they were told to stop speaking. 
most of us actually need the reminder to keep on speaking about who Jesus is. That although that we would face some opposition or judgment or misunderstanding or misrepresentation, that we would understand that the power of who Jesus is needs to be declared. And that we, like Peter and John, that even under the threat of persecution, would be able to say, I cannot stop speaking about what I have seen and what I have heard. All because of his salvation. All because of the name of Jesus and what it means, the name of Jesus in my life, that I can continue to be a witness for Christ. You know, if we are prone to be timid witnesses of Jesus, then I would encourage us, me included, that the Lord would give us the confident boldness that we need to speak out for Christ, even if we suffer for it. So being prepared to proclaim this outrageous gospel requires boldness and confidence that doesn't come from our own strength. What I love in this text is as Peter begins to speak, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And just as I close today, I just wanted to encourage you with a few thoughts about how it is we become bold and confident in speaking out these outrageous claims of Jesus. The first one is that we can be confident witnesses because we've spent time with Jesus in the secret place. That we can never underestimate what it is that takes place in and through us as we sit at the feet of Jesus. As we listen to his voice, as he teaches us, as we learn from him, this is the place, church, where we get our confidence in our witness. We are confident in our witness because we can testify to what we know, the work of the cross. It isn't our work, it is the work of the cross. The work of Jesus, what it is that he's done in people's lives. These testimonies are our confidence. We can be confident witnesses because Jesus is the only way. And as we receive his salvation, his power begins to be at work within us and through us. And we are confident witnesses because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't ever underestimate that we have been given the Holy Spirit by God to be our helper, our counsellor, our empowerer. We need to walk in step with Jesus so that the Holy Spirit is activated to move and to have His way within our lives. This is our confidence in our witness. You know, the most outrageous claim of all is found in the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you and I must be saved. We don't want to make excuses. We don't want to be watering down our faith to make people feel comfortable or ourselves feel comfortable. We need to have this boldness of the Holy Spirit to outrageously claim what our faith actually means to us, to have words to say for the hope that we have been given because a desperate, hurting world needs to hear it. And if we are going to see a hurting world come to know a gracious, powerful, loving, kind Redeemer, then you and I need to be confident that Jesus is who He says He is. And that becomes our confession, that He is our Saviour. I invite you to stand to your feet. Because just like Peter, I don't know, as I read that, I say, Jesus, help me to be like Peter in that that situation. 
that I see the Holy Spirit come upon him and he begins to preach. He's considered uneducated. He's considered a common man. He's considered somebody who maybe doesn't have all the qualifications. And yet we see when he opens his mouth under the power of the Holy Spirit, that people's lives begin to be changed. That salvation is received by people as God is glorified. And so I wanna pray for us today. This is my prayer and I invite you to join me that if you wanna receive a, a fresh boldness and a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit in this moment, that you would just posture your heart right now as I pray. Father God, we come before you in awe of your power, of your greatness, of your goodness. We thank you, Lord God, that you are creator, you are sovereign, you are overall. And Lord, we seek your face today. We seek your will. We seek your purpose. We seek your power. For God, we recognise that we are fully dependent upon you. We need you. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for us so that we can have life. And then you gave us your Holy Spirit. And today, Lord, I pray for myself as well as my brothers and sisters, Lord, for a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit right now in this place. Lord, that we would have boldness and courage, not in our own strength, not in our own ability, but Lord, you would increase it for our, our faith within you. That Father, we would recognise that you are good and you are holy and it is you that we testify to. It is your working power. Father, help us to open our mouths when You are leading us. Help us to discern when it is You are moving. Lord, help us to see the people of peace that You are leading us to. And God, as we maybe open our mouths in fear and trembling, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would come and would manifest Your glory through us, that You would use us, God, and that many would come to know salvation because of it. God, we ask that you would come and you would use us just as we are. And you would have your way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.